0: Last week uh Chris shared with you the second part of the series as we're talking about this verse that comes out of Isaiah chapter nine, verse six of you have your Bible, you might want to turn to that to remind yourself. I don't know if you even need a Bible to remind yourself if you remember that verse. I mean it's not like it's that long. Um probably some of you could get up here this morning and quote the verse. I'm not gonna ask you to do it, but uh <clears throat> but you probably could. It's a pretty simple verse that talks about the whole thing of who Jesus it's going to be. I was studying uh, last week when I was sick. Uh, you have lots of time to do stuff, and I was—I'm not going to go into the details of how I was sick, but it wasn't fun. Um, but uh, was laying in bed, feeling achy, and so I couldn't sleep, and so I just kept, you know, researching things just to kind of keep my mind off everything else. And I was looking in a little bit back at the history of Santa Claus. Do y'all know that uh, anything about the history of where we get modern day Santa Claus from? You really don't care? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. I thought it was interesting because, because uh, actually, there's a historical figure, a real historical figure. His name was Nicholas. He was known as Saint Nicholas. He was born in, uh, in a place in a little town called Patera, which is now in Turkey, uh, in the third century. Uh, Saint Nicholas was a guy who, uh, in the UK, is called Father Christmas. Uh, he was this true historical person that was born there. He was born of wealthy parents. Uh, he, but his parents died of an epidemic when he was fairly young, he inherited a lot, large sum of resources, of, of money, and he used that inheritance though, uh, even as a young person, as he got, grew older, he used it to help the sick and impoverished, and he dedicated his life to serving God. Uh, eventually, he became what was known as the Bishop of Myra. I don't know where Myra is. It's another area of Turkey. But he became the bishop of this town. He, he became a, a religious figure there. Uh, and he was famous for his generosity. Uh, but because of his generosity and also because of his dedication to God, uh, he was, it was said that he was uh, imprisoned for his loyalty to Jesus Christ under uh, the Diocletian um, persecution, which was something that happened in that period of time that many Christians were persecuted. And legend says, now a lot of things are kind of like sketchy at this time, but legend says that uh, after his release, he attended the Council of Nicaea which was an important thing in the early church the council of nicaea which was in 325 ad uh, was a place where church leaders got together and they were talking about discussing debating something that's very important for us and for the church from then on it was this how do you perceive the relationship between jesus christ the son and 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 god the father how how does it work and and so there was this debate going on and uh there was this guy named there who was a guy who was later considered a heretic. His name was Arius. And Arius was a guy who was arguing that Jesus was just a man. He's just a man. He's not God. He's just a man. There is no divinity in Jesus Christ. And Arius came to the council to to, to debate that and say that was true. And it was said, legend has it, that Nicholas was so uh enraged by this statement by Arius that Arius kept saying this and he got up, walked across the room and he slapped Arius in the face. Merry Christmas. That's Nicholas. That's where the Christmas thing comes from. And and he was famous. So Nicholas was famous for taking a stand about the deity of Jesus Christ. And after he died, a lot of strange things happened. I mean, he, this, we don't know a whole lot about him other than the fact that he was a real person. He was generous to, an, to a default. He upheld the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was God. And we understand those things. But a lot of other things happened after he died. In 343 A.D., mystics claimed that after he died and his grave was there, that this fluid flew, uh, oozed up out of the ground. It's kind of gross. But this this fluid, if you take it, had healing properties. You know, people. Uh, who knows? I mean, you know, they probably bought it and sold it somewhere. Uh, that was something about Nicholas. But then he became some—he uh, became somebody that was very highly honored in the in the uh, in the early church, in the, in the medieval church. Matter of fact, about f- over four hundred different churches were named after Nicholas in England alone during the Middle Ages. He became what was known as the patron saint of sailors, Saint Nicholas. He, uh, when in the 1400s, when the Vikings discovered Greenland, they dedicated a cathedral to St. Nicholas. Uh, Christopher Columbus, as he was doing his exploring, uh, he named uh, a port in Haiti after Nicholas. Nicholas was a real figure, a real person. And how did the world get from there to where we are now? The modern times, basically the the current understanding of Santa Claus that comes out of the St. Nicholas person, uh, eventually kind of emerged from two kind of really bizarre areas. One was a a poem that was written in the 1820s. It's called Twas, The Night Before Christmas. And a second one was some political cartoons that was done by a guy named Thomas Nast. Thomas Nast was a political uh, satirist. He wrote uh, during the Civil War era, and he did these cartoons. And one of them was about this, this fat jolly guy named Santa Claus. And from all of that has emerged all the weirdness that we believe now. And the question is, why does something like that happen come out of something? That you know, you strip all the myth and all, all the myths away and you discover that it all came from this real, unapologetic, generous follower of Jesus Christ. That's where Saint Nicholas came from. We've perverted it so much. Why? Because I think there's this need to fill in some voids in our life so so often. And one of the voids that we often have in our life we're going to talk about today is this thing called, I would call, the father hole that we have in our lives. This This need for a father figure, a stable father figure in our lives. And today as we look at this verse out of, out of Isaiah 9, 6, we've talked, we've said this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, we've talked about, wonderful counselor. And then last week, mighty God. And then today, everlasting father. Now this is talking about whom? Jesus Christ. And we don't think of Jesus as the Father, do we? We get this, it's kind of a confusing thing sometimes to think about Jesus and the Father. And that was the whole thing of the, uh, of the Council of Nicaea was the, how do they work together? Is Jesus really? But the thing is, is in the Old Testament, we see God at work in the lives of several people. And and, and the thing is, is that have you ever considered that really Christmas is all about God giving us a first-hand experience of himself? That's what Christmas is about, God giving us a first-hand experience of himself. You know, in the Old Testament, like I said, we see God at work in the lives of several individuals and then in the life of a chosen nation. Yet it all seems, you know, kind of a distance sometimes as you read kind of a third-person story as you look at the Old Testament as if we were viewing the Lord's activity through a telephoto lens. But Christmas comes, and when Christmas comes, we suddenly see God almost face to face. We see His face in a baby. God becomes more real to us. And and I love what it says. I mean, I just picked out a few verses out of the New Testament. that talks about the relationship between God the Father and, and Jesus Christ the Son. And it says this. It says in John 14, 9, "...anyone who has seen me," Jesus says, "...has seen the Father." And in Hebrews 1, 3, it says, "...the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory." and the exact representation of His being. They're the same. And then in Colossians 1, verses 15 and 19, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, for God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. I mean, I could read verse after verse after verse after verse in Scripture that says to us that when we see Jesus, we see God. Now, it's not all that we can see because God cannot be contained in a person. But when we see Jesus, it's a representation of who God is, is to try to reveal to us who God is. At Christmas, God arranged for us to get a first-person experience of himself. No longer would we have to wonder what the Holy One of Israel was like. No wonder would we have to look through a telephoto lens to see who Jesus was. Uh, When Mary gave birth to Jesus at Bethlehem, God himself came to live among us, and it says his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And one of the things that he tells us, and and the Old Old Testament prophet Isaiah says, that when we see the Son, we see the everlasting Father. We see what it means to be an everlasting Father. So today I want to talk for a few minutes about what that means for us. What does that mean for us? Because sadly, though we often, uh, so Jesus came to be their everlasting Father, to understand, so we can understand who God is, sadly, though, we often project our Heavenly Father through the lens of our earthly fathers. Now, I don't know what kind of father you had, okay? All of us have different fathers. All of you did have a father, okay? You wouldn't be here if you didn't have a father. But no matter how good or how bad your father, your earthly father is, the reality is that so often we project our heavenly father, we project upon our heavenly father some attributes sometimes that are not what Scripture tells that our heavenly father is like. First of all, let me share with you some things that so often we project about through the lens of our earthly fathers. Sometimes we've had fathers, some of you have had fathers, who was never satisfied. Some of you grew up with very, very difficult fathers. You had fathers who had high expectations of you. And for some reason, guys, I just have to put this upon us. Sometimes we don't know how to say things like, I love you, in real ways. And sometimes we may have had fathers that loved us greatly, but didn't really know how to say to us in the right way, I love you, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. And so they would seem like fathers who were constantly, that were never satisfied with us, that had, and some of you grew up with that, and, and I know that because some of you've been to my counseling office and others' counseling office before, and you still have issues because your whole life been trying to satisfy this earthly father who, who in a real sense, may be impossible to satisfy. And sometimes we project that upon God. That God's this this guy up in the sky who who we can never satisfy. And our whole goal in life is to try to make him proud of us. And sometimes we project that upon upon the Heavenly Father. Some of us have had fathers who seem to be always angry. I mean, some people don't know how to deal with stress in in a positive way. And I want to tell you that sometimes the, the whole thing of stress, I, I, sometimes I, I have to ask for forgiveness from my family for, you know, just kind of erupting. Okay, you know, Pastor Bill erupts. Yeah. You know, stress uh, sometimes makes us do bizarre things. And the thing is sometimes, you know, some of you have had fathers who just simply didn't handle life very well, and because of it, because of the stress of being the head of the household and trying to make sure things happen the way they are, they, they didn't respond in a positive way, and they seem to be angry all the time. And sometimes that comes out in all kind of negative ways. And sometimes we see God as this this kind of being up in heaven who, in a real sense, is what he does. is He's always, you know, he's always just, because he's not satisfied, he's always angry. And that's not the God of Scripture we're going to look at in a moment. But probably the thing that probably most happens in our culture, in our day, and sadly enough it's true, is that so often some of us had fathers who were seldom present. Who were seldom present in our lives. Even if they were there physically, they weren't there emotionally. They weren't, they're connected with us. But, and there's this real, there's this huge impact that happens in lives because of absent fathers. Fathers, Mothers, I'm not putting you down. This is not about mothers today, okay? So, women, you can kind of like chill out today. But, fathers, I want to tell you, this is not Father's Day either, but in a sense it is. The fathers, fathers, you make a unique impact and contribution to your family that cannot be replaced. Sociological studies prove that. I've shared with you before the impact that it makes in whether, you know, children continue to be followers of Jesus Christ. If it's just, if it's both parents together, the, the impact of that down the road will be this, this percentage. If it's just mothers, it's great, but it's, you know, without either parent having an impact, it's like this, but it's just a little bit more with mothers, but it's a huge gap when fathers are involved. It, it's just part of it is. But there's also other things sociologically that, that shows us the impact of absent fathers. For instance, let me give you some statistics. In our culture, sexual confusion and early sexual involvement are much more likely, hugely much more likely in fatherless homes. In regards to poverty, fatherless homes are five times more likely to be poor. In 2002, 7.8% of children in married couple families were living in poverty compared to almost 40% of children living in fatherless homes. 7.8% both parents, 40% fatherless homes, poverty. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90%. 85% of all children who exhibit behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison are from fatherless homes. 85% of all under-18-year-olds who are in prison are from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. What does that mean? Children from fatherless homes are 6.6 times more likely to run away from home, 15 times more likely to have behavioral disorders, 10 times more likely to commit rape, 15 times more likely to end up in prison while a teenager. In one government statistic, it estimates that the federal government spends an estimated $100 billion a year on programs to compensate for the effects of father absent homes. So would you say that there's a problem with lack of fathers, of absent fathers in our culture? Yeah. Yeah, there's this, there's this, this hole that's in our soul that we need people, fathers, fathers. Who will who will be there, and be there in the right way? Now, this one I just want to look for a few minutes at, at what the Bible says. That's sometimes we take those things those things in our culture, and we put them upon God. But I want to give you a look a look, a look at the, in through Scripture, the lens of Scripture, about what the Father, the everlasting Father is, God, the everlasting Father. And I just want to give you three things this morning. I can give you tons, but there's three things this morning that it says in Scripture that the Father that we have in heaven, the Father God is, the Father revealed through the Son Jesus Christ is. First of all is this, our everlasting Father is compassionate. Our everlasting Father is compassionate. In Psalm 103 it says this, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, I mean, is that the view of God? That's the view of a father that you have? Slow, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love? That is the picture of Jesus Christ. If you look at Jesus as he lived upon this earth, that's how he lived his life. It's a visual picture of the kind of father that our father in heaven is. In Matthew 11, it says, "Come to me, you, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." It's this picture of a God who is compassionate and caring. It's a Father who loves us beyond everything else. I love the story of a little boy who, had, a talented little boy who was taking piano lessons. And this little boy, as he was taking piano lessons, his mother realized very clear early on, as he was a young child, that this kid was very exceptionally gifted. Even the teacher, the piano teacher, said, "Hey, this this child will is going to be really something. He's just incredible." But the problem was, like a lot of kids, the the boy grew tired of the piano. He yeah, he did his scales, he did his chords, uh, but he wanted to quit. And this was a long time ago, and and about that time it was announced, and he lived in in, in Europe. And about that time it was announced that. And if I say this guy's name right, Ignacy Paderewski, Paderewski. I've never heard of Paderewski before, but never his first name. He was a famous concert pianist, was going to come to their city. And the boy's mother thought it was that maybe taking her son to the performance of this incredible concert pianist would motivate him to continue the piano and, and achieve uh, a, a, you know, some level of, of competence in that. And finally, the big day came for this, this concert to happen in a large crowd gathered in the auditorium, waiting for the master, and while the expected ticket holders talked and milled about, this little boy wandered innocently up onto the stage where the this big giant black grand piano was sitting there. And as he's sitting there on this, as he's sitting there on the stage, the little boy got up on the piano, just kind of ignoring everything else. You know, little kids can do that; they can be oblivious to everything else that's going around them. Got up and sat down on this piano and began to play chopsticks. Well, the people began to notice what was going on, and finally some of them tried to coax him off the stage. I don't know where the parent was at this time. And then two or three even booed him, but the little boy continued to play the tune. And then Paderewski, as he was off stage, he noticed what was going on, and he quietly walks onto the stage, and as he, he comes up behind the little boy, he puts his arms around him, and he begins to play together, he and the little boy, this incredibly beautiful music from a famous concerto. And the music was incredible. And, and while Paderewski was playing, he continued to whisper into the boy's ear, Don't stop. Never quit. Don't stop. I'm here. I'm going to help you. You see, sometimes we want to quit and sometimes we think our Father in Heaven is just kind of like, unpleasable and, and that's not the picture we see at all. It, it, you know, the picture I believe in Scripture is... this. Compassionate God is one who has His arms around us, saying, "Don't quit, I'm here for you. Keep going." So the first thing is, is that we have this Father who's compassionate. Secondly, in Scripture we see an everlasting Father who cares, who really does care. He's not this absent father who is somewhere off that he, he really does care. I love in Jeremiah 21, one of my famous, favorite verses in all the scriptures. is Jeremiah 29, 11, which says this, it says, where I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And the incredible thing about that is that that's the kind of Father God that we have. He's not trying to, I mean, he does care and he, he wants to help direct your life and he wants to keep his arms and he wants to direct you and help you along the way. And, and he's not this distant, care nothing God who's angry all the time. Some of you may know this story. Uh, you, back in 1992, all of you remember the Olympics back then, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe not. You'll remember this story though. But it was interesting that year in the Barcelona Olympics there was there was a, there was a, they were getting ready for the 400 meter um the 400 meter uh run and it was the semifinals of the 400 meter run and there was eight guys that were going to get on the track and, and they were going to run just one lap around the track 400 meters and as they were going to run around the track the top four guys that were that were going to be there that one the top four guys out of those eight got to go to the finals of the 400 meter run in the barcelona olympics and one of the guys that was there that was on the track that day was a guy who was one of the, the favorites to win it his name was Derek redmond and Derek redmond was a guy who who uh had had a tough luck and had some 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 injuries and stuff but he had seemed to be healthy for a while and they got up, they lined, they took off, and they were running. And Redmond was like tied for first place and going around the curve. And he got about halfway through the track. And all of a sudden, he just pulled up because he had, he, he had tore hamstring. And he fell to the track. And, and then everybody else, obviously at that point, his chance for a medal, his chance to even get in the finals was gone. But he had been practicing. This, this was kind of the end of his career. He had been doing this for years. And everybody kind of like wasn't paying attention. And all of a sudden, he gets up off the track and he starts hobbling and limping around the track. And, and, and everybody, you know, was kind of like, what's he doing? And, and he decided in his mind, he said, I can't win a medal, but I'm going to finish. And as he was going around the track, it was, it, was, it was painful to watch him going around that track because he could barely make it. If you ever had a torn hamstring, it hurts. And as he was going around the track, something amazing happened. Out of the stands comes this guy with a t-shirt and a baseball hat on. I don't know how he got through security, but he made it through security some way, runs out onto the track, puts his arm around Derek and starts encouraging talking to him and taking him around the track. And, and they go across, the. eventually, after a lot of anguish, goes across the finish line. And that guy was Derek Redmond's father. His father said later, he said, he said, We've been through this, we started this together, and we're going to finish this together. See, that's a picture of the God that we have. A God who cares. You know, it doesn't always prove that, say that everything's going to be perfect, but he says as we limp along life, as we go through the difficulties of life, he says, I'm going to be there with you. I'm a father who cares. A father who cares. Lastly, I think the scripture tells us, if nothing else, it tells us this, that our everlasting father is always there. He's always there. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says this, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now, how long is never? Is there any time when never quits? Never means, this, in the Greek, it means never. Okay. It's not any strange word. It means never. He says he'll never leave us. God doesn't forsake you because you mess up. God doesn't forsake you because you fall away. God doesn't he's always there. He's ne, he never leaves us. He's not like the absent fathers in our culture. He's not that way at all. I want to close with another story. This day's story day. I had a lot of time this week to look up stories. I was in there crying all week reading stories. It's terrible. And I don't know if this one's true or not, but whether it is or not, it it touched my heart. Because it's a picture of who I believe God is. The story goes this way. One Christmas season, it seemed colder than usual. And the temperature had dropped three to four degrees and the flakes of snow had begun to fall. And a man driving down a deserted street in in a small town noticed a young boy, about seven or eight years old, huddled alongside a building. How strange, he thought. What is such a young boy doing out in the bitter cold? And the man quickly drove up to the boy and stopped his car and he rolled down his window and he asked, son, is everything all right? You need to get out of the cold. You'll freeze to death out there. I c- can't, sir, the boy replied through chattering teeth. Puzzled by such an answer, the man stepped out of this car uh, to speak with the boy face to face. He could see that the youngster had been crying. Look, son, he said, I'll take you home. Are you lost? What's the matter? Mr., the boy replied, I can't go home. Sure, you can go home, the man answered. Where do you live? I live right up there, said the boy, pointing to the second floor apartment building behind him. Now, even more confused, the man told the boy, Well, son, get out of the weather and run home. You don't understand, the boy replied. My daddy gave me $5 and told me to come down here to this store. He gave me a list of things to buy. And when I tried to cross the street, the wind was blowing and I was so frozen with cold that somehow the money blew right out of my hand. Now I can't find it. I've looked everywhere. The man said, well, just go home and tell your dad what happened. He'll understand. The little boy looked at him and said, Mr., you don't understand my daddy. He's been drinking and he's mean all the time. He's especially mean tonight. And if I go up there and tell him I lost the $5 and didn't get what he wanted, he will get real mad and I don't know what he'll do. With his heart breaking, the man reached into his wallet and said tenderly, I'll lend you the money, son. Take this $5. He then ushered the little guy into the convenience store and helped him get some bread, some milk, and a couple of other items. And the cost came to a little more than $4. Actually, the story happened a long time ago. The clerk handed the change to the boy. Now, Sonny said, you take that change and run on home. Don't say anything to your daddy about it. Just give him what he wanted. Thank you, the boy said, suddenly grinning. He started back across the street while the man watched. And before the good Samaritan could hop back in his car, the boy stopped, turned around, ran back across the street, and he threw his arms around the man's legs in a tight hug. And the boy exclaimed, I wish you were my daddy. Then the youngster spun around and he bounded up the steps to his apartment. You know, this Christmas, Jesus Christ, the everlasting Father, is looking to give you a $5 bill because he knows what your needs are. He's the, the compassionate, caring God who's always there. And he earns to give you the perfect gift. The one that satisfies your deepest longings and meets your deepest needs. That's what Jesus revealed about God when he came at Christmas. And most of all, God wants to be your daddy. Not just one day a week, not just occasionally, but forever. Forever. And that can happen when you give your heart and your life to him. He's made the offer. It's always out there. I want to tell you this: regardless of how good or how bad your earthly father was, they'll never that far earthly father will never fill up the father hole that we have in our heart, because only God can do that. God, the Everlasting Father. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org